Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. My name's John. It's been a while since I've been with you guys, so uh, bear with me as I shake the rust off. Um, But it's great to be here again and to share with you this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're wondering what we're talking about this morning, the outline's on the the board here. I'll go through that in a second. But um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, scroll, click, Google search, um, written by a guy named Paul to the church in Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. And uh, okay, so yeah, I I guess I just want to give you everything up front so you know what you're getting into. Um, Sometimes you sit down for a sermon and you're like, where are we going? Here's where we're going. We're going to talk about laundry on the vicious cycle, 35 easy ways to save money, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where you guys hopefully are. Paul's 50th work anniversary. Um, two pictures. My friend's Instagram, something Madeline Langle said, planet Earth, Jesus, and 1 John. So don't tell me, I had no idea where we were going this morning. You know exactly what we're going to talk about. It makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> so... It's, it, it's been a busy season over at the Eshelman household. Um, and our, admittedly, October is kind of a busy month for us no matter what. My wife Anna's birthday is right at the beginning of October, then my sister's birthday, uh, Jer, a good friend of mine, his birthday, and then I've got my daughter Paige's birthday, who shares the same birthday as my dad, and then it's our wedding anniversary and then it's Halloween, and then it's my other daughter Sophie's birthday. Uh, So that's October. Um, And then we got Anna, my wife, transitioning into a new job. Um, We had one computer between the two of us, working computer-heavy jobs, which isn't awesome. And then um, we decided to all get a stomach virus together. It was just a little thing we threw in the calendar, like, let's all get grossly sick. And uh, it's just an idea because there wasn't enough going on. And then uh, on top of that, one of my daughters decided to go on a fast. She's, she decided, we're not pooping anymore. That's just not going to happen in our house. So she went on a poop fast for about eight, nine days. Um, but, I mean, these are all like benign little things, but they all add up. No major catastrophes, no tragedies, um, but it's just a big bunch of life. And it it just got me thinking um, about laundry on the vicious cycle. This is laundry. It's clean. Um, But here's what happens when when life just starts happening in our house. I'll do some laundry because clothes get dirty. And I'll fold that laundry and I'll put it uh, into this basket or in piles on the downstairs couches. And, uh, (laughs) but it's like first they're in piles, then they go into the basket then the basket gets taken upstairs to where the people put on the clothes again or use the laundry. And what happens is 
is it never gets put away. So it sits in this basket. Maybe you've had some experience with this. And then inevitably other laundry that you're wearing goes on top of it. It's like, oh, there's the laundry basket. So you throw your dirty laundry on top of the clean laundry. And then your clean laundry starts to smell like your dirty laundry. And then you take your basket back downstairs and you're unloading it. And you're like, oh, there's that shirt. Oh, there's those clean pants. But you're like, but they, they're, you know, let's just throw them in too. And so they never got worn. They never fulfilled their purpose. They're just on this vicious cycle around the house, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, and downstairs again, never being worn, never fulfilling their purpose. The vicious cycle of laundry. That's like, that's just life right there, isn't it? Anybody else have, I, maybe it's just my house. Uh, clothes traveling around, never finding their purpose. But it's always there. It's just hidden underneath dirty stuff and other stuff. And I, th- I was thinking about it, because we're in this series on simple church. Simple church. And life is a series of poop fasts and vicious cycles of laundry. And hopefully you've been coming here for the last number of weeks and trying to figure out what is simple church. Uh, what does it look like? And if you're like me, you're trying to walk away with something. You've got that little note card and you're writing notes and so far you've got poop fast and vicious cycle down and you don't know where you're going to go with that. But you're trying to figure it out. You want to be a better church member, a better servant, a better friend, a better follower of Jesus. And, uh, and here's the thing about coming to a place like this and listening to someone like me. Um, there's always more to do. There's always more to do. I sit in the same seats as you, and I'll listen to Boog or someone else, and I'll think, okay, what can I take away to go do? There's something more I can be doing, right? And I have to admit, this is almost always the place that I go when I'm sitting in the audience. Uh, And when I'm preparing to share with you, I'm like, what do I want them to do? It's a good question to ask, right, when you're preparing a sermon. It's like, what what do I actually want them to leave and go do differently? Um, What is it that you need to do? What is it that I need to do? And I was thinking about 35 easy ways to save money here. Um, This is our culture. Ten easy ways to lose weight. Five ways to have a happier morning. Eight solutions to your top social media problems. (laughs) Seven ways to make your introvert feel loved. How to have more energy every day. This This is it right here. You... You see this all the time. This is clickbait, they call it, on, online. You're like, ooh, yeah, I do want to know how to have more energy every day. Tell me what I must do. Oh, I do want 10 easy ways to lose weight. And by the way, they're never easy. Never. They're never easy. If, it, if, it, if the 10 easy ways were like, click on this link, go take a nap, eat a pizza, and it like went like that, then it, that would be easy, right? But it's never that's never, it's never easy. It's like, you know, completely upend your diet. Go work out for six hours a day. No, it's never easy. 35 easy ways to save money. It's like, don't spend it, don't spend it, get more of it, don't spend it, get more of it, don't spend it, get more of it, don't earn more, get more, steal more. What, you know, it's never easy. We'll stop there with that. But can you see how the culture continually pushes you in this direction? of it? It's, it's about what you got to do. 
It's about what you got to do. And you sit here and now you're thinking, what do I have to do? And the sermons that are real popular, like here's five ways that you can have a healthier spiritual life. And here's ten ways that you can overcome this sin in your life. And here's six steps to a deeper prayer life. And I'm not saying that those are bad. Don't get rid of those things. Those are good things. Uh, the ten steps to a more fulfilling marriage, you know. But I would say, I wonder, and maybe you wonder too, if deep at the heart of our understanding of God, we feel like there's always something we have to do to keep God on our side. Some correction that can always be made. There's this constant culturally embedded proclivity to move toward the thing that we have to do in order to receive what is already ours. And I would argue it creates a deep-seated anxiety within all of us regarding our relationship with God. And yet there's these these verses like, don't be anxious for anything. And yet we sit in the seats and we're like, anxious, what, what is it this week? What do I have to do this week so that then God will be pleased with me? Then God might bless me. I'll have somehow earned it. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of stuff in the New Testament, uh, one of the things we're going to read, but he wrote it to this city in, uh, in Corinth. What they think were four letters, we, they think we only have two of the four letters, First and Second Corinthians. Uh, but basically, Corinth was a busy cultural center for Greek life. Uh, a lot of pagan religions, ceremonies existed, and uh, one author writes that both materialism just try and wrap your minds around materialism. I know it's hard to figure out what that might look like uh, where we live. And, but materialism and immorality were the accepted order of the day. You guys have any experience with materialism? I mean, greed is kind of sort of praised in our culture, would you agree? Like, it's good to want more and get more, and when someone's crushing it, we praise them. Even if they don't need it. But we don't call that greed, we call that success, right? That's a whole other sermon, sorry about that. The church in Corinth had some issues, definitely had some issues, but here are the words that Paul has for this church full of issues, and this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, and he's, remember, he, it's like Paul's writing this to his, his friends, these people. Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's, do you regard, I, oh man, if I could just get past that one thing. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that the new creation has come. 
The old one is gone. The new is here. Christ's love compels us. Now, I would argue that this has very little to do with what the church in Corinth can or has done. Okay? This is more about what Christ has done. Would you agree? And what he's done for all humankind. Because I swear sometimes we want to re, rewrite the scriptures. We want to rewrite the Bible. Uh, but where in the Bible do you read? Uh, well, the people of this particular city finally got their act together. And they were able to achieve perfection and thus earned a right to the kingdom of heaven. They got their reward of peace and prosperity in heaven because what, it, what choice did God have? He had to give it to them because they were perfect. And they did what they were supposed to do. Where does it say that now that you've finally done all the right things and you've believed all the right doctrines, you've earned it. You deserve it. You've conquered it all and I owe you eternal life now. See, what I see here is, is something different. Is something else happened. What Paul says is Christ's love, it compels us. It compels us. In the Greek, that word compel, we don't use it a lot anymore. You guys use the word compelling a lot? Sometimes, like, oh, I just saw this movie. It was really compelling. Was it? Compel. His love compels us. In the Greek, it means to constrain, control, we might use that word quite a bit, or surround. His love controls us. You're in the land of the free here. I'm not sure how I feel about something else controlling me. Would you agree? We live in the land of the free. It's really hard to accept something outside of yourself controlling you. And yet, here's what Paul is saying. His love, it constrains us. It controls us. It surrounds us. Constantly molding you, shaping you, moving you, holding you back, pushing you, pulling you. Now in the land of the free, your mind has been trained. Just, just understand, you have been raised in the empire that has trained you to not like that. Something in your mind twists a little and you're like, eh, I don't like the way you're saying that because it feels like I don't, I'm not in control. Would you agree? You feel it. Do you feel like that little irk inside of you that's like, don't tell me I'm not in control. <laughs> I have a right. I have a right to vote. And that's what our country will teach you. Here's what I want you to do, America. Vote and buy stuff. Vote and consume. Vote and consume. This is what you're here for. You're here to vote. You have freedom. You have a right. Do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't infringe on anybody else's right to do what they want. And you can consume things. That's what makes America great. It's an oversimplification and not true. But, this is, this a I mean, this is the message that we receive pretty regularly. So when someone comes along and says, you know what's controlling us? You know what's moving me and pushing me and pulling me and stopping me and forcing me to speak and... So hold my tongue, Christ's love. 
as you focus on Christ's love for you and surrender to the love of Jesus Christ, it will compel you, shape you, mold you, surround you. But that means letting go of whatever 10-step process you might be in. And I only mean let go of that 10-step process insofar as you let go of the notion that you can control God with your 10-step process. God, I, I prayed, I read my Bible, I said I agreed with these three doctrines, why did I lose my house? See, it's, it's the American way to think that we put in our part and then God does his part. I give this, this, and this, I tithe every week, I do all these things, so God... You are now my employee. (laughs) You will do as I say. You will heal my aunt. You will bring prosperity to my business. You will fix this, this, and this in my life. You will save my marriage. You will save my home. You will do this because I have put in my peace. And yet what Paul seems to be insisting is, no, 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 no. It's much less about what you can do And so much more about what God has already done in Jesus. You follow? Don't assume that because you've done these things, sat here and listened to me, that you can control God. In fact, it's the opposite is what Paul's saying. If you are soaked in this love of God, it begins to control you. It begins to compel you. It begins to surround you. Now, celebrating Paul's 50th work anniversary here, um, you didn't know what this one was going to be about. This is my dad, who happens to be here today, which I love. Um, This is him when he was younger. This is him as a Roman soldier in the Jesus film. He's a movie star. Uh, He celebrated 50 years of working at Crew. We went to the dinner celebrating it this last week. Um, crew is also known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's an amazing thing for anybody to work 50 years anywhere. Would you agree? Um, especially in this day and age, if you work five years somewhere, it's like, wow, you've really been there a long time. 50 years. Uh, now, he's been with the same organization for five decades. Uh, I've only been around for about 80% of that time. Uh, But knowing my dad, his focus has remained consistent for all 50 years. Uh, And it's not just that my dad is extremely loyal to crew or to Campus Crusade. Uh, It's that he's completely saturated by a desire to serve Christ. Completely soaked in a desire to serve Christ by giving others the opportunity to know and hear about Jesus. That's an individual example, right there. When you're around my dad, you know what you're going to hear about. You're going to hear something about Jesus. You're going to hear something about how he's moving in parts of the world that you didn't know existed. And you're going to hear about how you can be involved in helping people get the name of Jesus, carry that name to places it's never been. That's a healthy thing. 
It's like my dad's bass note. It's this foundation that the whole melody is built on, right? The through line. He wants everyone to hear about Jesus. And that's a healthy one. There are less healthy bass notes for people, would you agree? For some, it's their addiction that keeps popping up when you're around them. For others, they've lost someone, a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, and that's kind of the base note of their life. It keeps, the melody is all built on that. There's certain people that you spend time with and you know what the conversation is going to be about, right? Oh, we're going over to so-and-so's. You know we're going to be talking about fill in the blank. So this goes for groups of people as well, right? Would you agree? I want to show you two pictures I found that illustrate this idea. The first, uh, Raiders. Let's see. Raider fans. When you approach a group like this, you have an idea of what you're getting into. <laughs> I was at a pizza place uh, not too long ago with some Raider fans and you know what they're about. They're about the Raiders winning the game. This is an NFL team, for those of you that don't know. Uh, Raider Nation. It's, uh, you know what you're getting into when you see this group. Now, the second one here, the second group, uh, this is, if we can, yep. This is a group of Hasidic Jews. Uh, probably taken in Israel, but could be somewhere on the East Coast as well. But there are going to be some particular values, practices associated with this group, would you agree? When, you, when, you, when someone like me walks into this group, I stand out. <laughs> Which one doesn't fit? You know, it, it's, I have to understand that when I see that group, there's going to be things that are there about. There's a through line. We're Hasidic Jews. We wear our, we are a particular style. We have particular beliefs. Same with the Raiders fans. We have a particular style. We have particular beliefs. <laughs> this is how groups of people work, right? There's a baseline that the melody's built on. There's this through line. There's this thing that they're about. Uh, now, there's, there's my friend's Instagram picture from yesterday. In case you've been surfing since Monday or been living off the grid, uh, our nation elected a new president, and I'm not here to talk about the election, but this post caught my, atten my attention. Uh, it's actually a video, and I just took a picture of the video. Um, it was taken in downtown L.A. yesterday. It said in the comment, Trump fan club, which I think was a sarcastic remark, uh, as the parade went by chanting, not my president, not my president, not my president. No matter how you feel about the election or, or what, I'm talking about the group of people here, okay? Here's a group of people, like the Raiders fans, like the Hasidic Jews, that are literally parading around their values, and what defines them. Most of us don't do that on a regular basis. We're just kind of out living our lives, right? It's not often that you get, find a whole group of people that just walk around saying, this is who we are, right? But this is how our world kind of operates, right? This is how we categorize people daily. 
right? You stay away from certain groups of people because you've made particular judgments about that group of people. And you are inclined to be around other groups of people or individuals because you've made You've categorized them in a particular way, what their base note is, what their through line, what their values are, right? This is how we move through the world. So what does all this have to do with simple church? Well, the question is, what is it that someone sees when they come into this community? Is it just our practices of singing, and family business, and a message. Is that what really, is that the through line bass note melody that we're trying to pull off some kind of service each week? What are the values? What are the through lines of this community? The practices and principles that define us. Because Paul seems to insist that it's this love thing that constrains us, constricts us, surrounds us, compels us, moves us. That's the thing. So we've talked about our individual baselines. We've talked about group passions and what those look like, what it might look like in our own church. And now I want to pull back a bit, like take a thousand, hundred thousand foot view of the situation. Uh, a woman named Madeline Lengel, I told you we were going to talk about something Madeline Lengel said. She wrote a book called A Wrinkle in Time. Has anybody heard of that book? A Wrinkle in Time? Madeline Langle. Uh, I got the privilege of hearing her speak uh, when I was a student at Westmont College in her old age. She stood up there, frail little author, uh, but with great power in her words. It's amazing uh, how much power there is in words. And she, she stood there and she said, it's taken me 76 years to return to the faith that I had as I once was a child. And she writes this in a book called uh, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith in Art. And she says, I have a view. You have a view. God has view. You catch the difference. I have a view. You have a view. God has view. I have a perspective. You have a perspective, a way that you see things. God has perspective, all of it. He has the whole view. Let's, pull, let's, let's look at planet Earth here. Next slide. God has view in a way that we don't on a consistent basis. Would you agree? So here's the question. When God looks at us, what's the base note? What's the through line? What's that defining characteristic? When God looks at humanity, the world, humankind, and he's trying to figure out, he doesn't, he's not seeing the raider nation, he's not seeing the Hasidic Jews, he's looking at humanity. What is the through line for humanity? That soaked in characteristic that has very little to do with what we can do and everything to do with what he has done.
very little to do with what you have to do, what you must leave here doing. Everything to do with what he has done. And I would argue that it's his love for us. It is that we are his beloved. That out of joy, God created humankind. And that the through line, the base note, is God's love for us. God's love for us. Not that you are this or that, that you've achieved this, that you've achieved that, that you've finally gotten over this. You've left behind that. No. The through line is his love for us. That's the thing we're soaked in, stained in, bathed in, surrounded by, made in his image. You ever heard this term, God is love? And that you are made in that image? That you are soaked in the image of the divine creator? And that the baseline throughout humankind that thing that permeates all of it. It's not what they can do for him. It's his love for them. For us. So I want to close with some things that Jesus said. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Now, there's a whole lot of theology wrapped up in there, and I'm not going to get into it, but essentially God is like, what do I have to do for you to get it? What do I have to do for you to understand that it's nothing that you can do, that you are just simply loved by me? That that is the through line of your existence, the base note on top of which the melody of your life is to be lived, is that you are a loved and beloved creature in my creation, that you bear my image. Must I manifest myself as a human being and take on all that you think separates you from me? I'll do that. I'll send my own son just to break down that barrier wall of hostility between you and I. That love, then, what, what might it do? This next one. This is how everyone's going to know that you guys get it. <laughs> that you guys realize what I've done. This is how everyone's going to know that, that, you're, that you're following me. That you're soaked and bathed in this love that has compelled you. They're going to see how you love each other. And that you do that well. I'd argue that we don't do this one all that well. When you find people that love each other, it's, it's, it's like being swept up in something. You know couples like this. I know couples in this room like this. I know individuals like this. 
that you get swept up. Man, they're just, you, I just want to be around them, <laughs> right? I just want to spend more time with them. Because there's something that's just, it's moving through them, and I feel like I'm a part of it, and I want to continue to be a part of it. Whatever, that, whatever happened at that dinner, I, I, I want more of that. You've been around those types of people, and I know many of you in here, and you are those types of people. But we all have the opportunity to be more so, to be more compelled, to be more controlled, more surrounded, more bathed in and soaked in by this love. See, Jesus seems to insist the baseline characteristic for his creation is, is love. Love's how he defines us, categorizes us. And so love is, is what we're supposed to be for each other. Uh, and Paul would say so much so that it's, it's like you're a whole new creation. It's going to look different. And I want to close with this last thing that John wrote in his letter. He says, this is love. Not that, not that we loved God. And you can, some, some of us just need to stop there. This is love. And don't get the wrong idea. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you can leave here saying, all right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. These are the next three steps to becoming a more loving person. And then God will do this. And then I'll feel okay about myself. No, 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 no. It's, this is love. Not that we loved God. That's not the through line, something that we achieved. No. It's that he loved us. That's the base note. That's the base note that you build the melody on. He loved us so much that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, so loved us, we should at least love each other, right? Because that's the base note for our existence. That's the through line. That's the simplicity. It's not about what you can do for him. It's about what he's already done in Jesus. So when you leave here, Boog was saying, what do you want them to leave with? This clear message, you know, because they're going to go out to lunch and they're going to roast the pastor. Talk about how it didn't really connect with, you know, what he was talking about. It just sounded like a bunch of cliches. And, uh, you leave here knowing... I, th I think I need to do, do more work on this whole idea about it's not about what I've done or what I can do, but actually just surrendering to my true identity as his beloved. I'm having a hard time with that. I keep wanting the next five-step method to being a better prayer person. I keep wanting to figure out how to get this sin out of my life. And what Jesus and what Paul seem to be saying is, no, 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 no. <laughs> the more you get in tune with your identity as my beloved, the more that stuff will disappear. But you, you got to surrender control. And that's tough in the U.S. It's tough here because we're freedom fighters. And Jesus seems to be insisting, oh, and Paul, no, his love, it will control you. But you got to surrender to it. You follow? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you didn't put together some 10-step method that we have to do to try and earn our position as your beloved, but that you've literally done everything to try to communicate that we are already your beloved. The only thing we have to do is turn and receive it. Just receive it. And live into it. So, God, would you give us the courage to let go of our desire to control you through our methods and practices and to receive your love and to allow it to control, surround, constrain, move, and guide us. We know this happens through the power of your spirit, and so we ask for more of it, just like you command us to. You promise to give more of your Holy Spirit to those who ask, and so we ask for more of it. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, during this first song, I want to invite our... Uh our ushers to help us receive the tithes and offerings this morning. And we were actually just fooling around with a song during warm-up, and um, John was talking about how it might actually work over this moment. So we're just going to go ahead and sing this, again, slightly unconventional worship song about God's view, looking at us and going, what do we have to do to make you feel my love? So ushers, you can come forward and take the offering.
Amen. Hey, guys, why don't we stand for our last day? <laughs> I really hope you guys were, like, listening to that and soaking that in as God just singing that over us as his beloved. I mean, it's beautiful truth in that.